0: Um, So it's very happy to have him come back after being gone for a while. Just a few brief announcements. Paul did, not only is he a great speaker in campus ministry, he's also an author. He wrote a book called Rethink Happiness. Um, He unfortunately doesn't have copies here today, but you can get it on Amazon and know that he will get a part of the profit. I'm sure if you find him somehow, he will sign your book for you. Just don't, don't go find him randomly in the street or whatever, but he will sign the book. And uh, just a few other things. So many of you know, this Saturday, ladies, from 9 to 11 here at Wisdom, we're having a Women's Day of Reflection run by Miss Robin, uh, free registration. And then next Saturday, right before Thanksgiving, from 9 to 11, I will be doing a Day of Reflection for the men um so you can just show up and we'll be there also very important to say we know just to let y'all know that we have our big i give catholic throughout the nation different catholic organizations trying to raise money uh, and we are going to participate i think it's for the second and third year fifty thousand dollars already given for matching funds great way to support the ministry people have done it in the past to help us continue to thrive and to be able to put on great programs and to have speakers like Paul and others. So why don't we go ahead, quit listening to me talk, and listen to Mr. Paul George. Good evening.
1: How are you guys? Um, So this is kind of weird for me in a couple of ways. One is, so I'm used to giving talks, maybe uh, two or three, four talks a month. Um, This is my first talk in person since March 2nd. That's how crazy of a year it's been, okay? So I'm a little rusty. It's been odd. The, the last talks I've gotten have been me with an iPhone in my office filming myself and sending it somewhere I didn't know where it was going, which is just kind of weird, right? Um, so it's kind of cool. And, and then I, I thought I would brag about myself tonight since it's my first talk back um, in... Uh, eight nine months is the best talk i ever gave was here at wisdom and uh just to brag a little bit uh so in like eight years ago um a guy named matt marr was doing a concert series and i was going to speak during the concert series this is a long time ago and uh nobody remembers my talks right they just remember him so father was like why don't you bring matt here so uh um, so Matt came and did a concert. He's like, we'll do a fundraiser. We can raise money, you know, and uh, father's like, oh, we could raise money, you know, <laughs> and uh, so the great idea was to actually pack everyone in jean mart Hall, okay, for the concert. Now, if it was 2020 and COVID was here, we'd all been arrested, okay, because everybody was just on top of each other, and I can't remember if it was like RSVP, like you had to have like you know, a ticket for it, I I just can't remember. But I know some people weren't allowed because of the room, like the space. And if you're in Jean-Marc Hall, like the thing that you're most afraid of is either you're gonna fall through the floor or the ceiling's gonna fall on you, okay? So the concert's happening in there and uh, somebody thought, oh, it'll be a great night, like you could bring kids too, like families, right? And so there were a ton of small kids there. And so what they did with the small kids was they made all the small kids sit on on the floor and then all the adults were in the chairs, okay? So if you've ever been in the hall, I was smashed up against the steps like this and there were just kids all around, okay? And then adults, okay? Some college kid thought it would be really great to keep the kids quiet that they would just hand out bags of chips, right? So they're all in front of me eating bags of chips, like crumpling chip bags and like just crunching the whole time and one of the things that you learn like when you're speaking is like not to acknowledge distractions right because if you start acknowledging distractions everyone gets distracted and they're looking around like oh the noise outside and everybody looks outside oh the fly on my face you know and everybody's looking for it you know so i'm like doing my best i am focused like i've never been focused before They are eating, and it's just crunching, and I'm giving my talk. Nobody knows what I'm saying. Nobody remembers what I talked about that night. Trust me, right? But I'm like, in my mind, I'm thinking, I am doing the best job ever because I'm not being distracted by all these little kids that in my mind right now, as I'm actually talking about Jesus, I want to kill every one of them (laughs) because that's what I was thinking. So... Lo and behold, as I'm talking and I'm focused and focused, what I didn't know is that I was so focused that these kids were sitting around my feet and they had untied my shoes and tied my shoestrings together while I was talking. And I never said a word. I just stayed focused and gave the whole talk. And when I went to step, I was caught and uh, I literally almost killed someone's kid that night <laughs> on purpose, all because father wanted to raise money and pack Jean-Marc Hall. <laughs> so what's tonight about? I, I thought it was great when they called me. I was like, I, I just want, I'll do the talk just because I want to see people. I want to hang out with people again. Um, and they titled it The Night of Hope, right? And as I was praying about uh, where to start with this talk tonight. I thought about this scripture from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 68. And Jesus is talking to the disciples. And what has happened is that some people are finding out that following Jesus is a little hard. It's a little difficult. Some of his teachings maybe are a little too strong or asking them to do a little too much. And in John six sixty-eight, 68, uh, some of Jesus' disciples actually left jesus like i don't know if you know that like some people are like they signed up and they're like oh whoa you know i don't know if i can do this right so they left jesus and jesus goes uh to his followers to the disciples and he says what are you guys going to do and peter responds to jesus and he says this peter says lord to whom shall we go To whom shall we go? Where else do we go? I don't know if you've ever felt that way in your life, but I have. Like, where else do I go? Like, who else do I turn to? Like, you know, where where do I turn during these times? And we can all acknowledge that this has been a real weird, wonky year, right? Uh, It's been strange in, in so many different ways. And a lot of times during this year, I've asked myself, like, where else do I go? Who else do I turn to? And yet, way back then, the disciples were saying the same thing. When Peter says, Lord, where where else do I go? Like, I look out into the world, and I don't see the hope that I see in you, Jesus, right? And he says, where else am I going to go? Because it's in your face. I know that it's in relationship with you where I'm going to find answers, and I'm going to find hope. And yet, everyone else is kind of turning away, and they're trying to find their hope in other things. And yet, to whom shall we go? And what's this night about and who's it for? Tonight's about hope and the night's for basically two types of people. So I'll just kind of define it right from the beginning. One is if you have never put your hope in Christ, tonight's for you. If you have never claimed that in your life and just said, that's what I want my life to be and circle around, tonight's for you. If you have lost hope at any time in your life and you want to reclaim that And put Jesus back on the throne of your life, tonight's for you. Like that's what tonight is about and that's who it's for. If you don't fall into those categories, maybe you're here tonight so that you can share hope with someone else, okay? So you can absorb what happens tonight. Uh, Years ago, I can't remember uh, how long ago, but I I was at a baptism uh, for my niece. And uh, my sister-in-law's brother uh, is special needs. He's like a, you know, I don't know, five to 10 year old in a 40 year old body. Okay, so it's my sister's in-laws brother. Okay, so my wife's brother's wife's brother. Okay, so, you, so there's no like blood relation. So it wasn't like I was expecting to know what's gonna happen and I hang out with them all the time but there is sort of family relation but no blood relation, right? So it's my wife's brother's wife's brother. Okay, so, um, so it's my sister-in-law's brother. But that's how it's all connected. So just letting you know. So we all end up at the same baptism because there's family from both sides there, and then I'm connected randomly through my wife's brother's wife's brother, okay? And my wife's brother's uh, wife's brother is there, and uh, so he's, he's got special needs. And uh, so he's at the baptism, and uh, we're all there, and um, the priest no lie, I'm just standing there, and the priest goes to do the baptism and pours water on the baby, okay? Now, in my mind, if I could be honest, like, if you've ever been to a baptism, you probably have. Um, it's cool. Uh, there's an infant. They sprinkle water, pour it on there, do the, the chrism, and it's like, oh, that was, that was kind of a cool ceremony. And I'm thinking about, like, what's next? You know, like, where's the reception? Where's the food? Like, where do we go next? Like, you know, things like that. And I'm just kind of thinking... You know, this is cool, this is not the moment, but I'm not really present to the present moment of what's actually happening. And I know something happens, you know, like, uh, that's there. I know in my mind something's happening during the baptism, but I'm not necessarily connected in my heart of what's happening at the baptism. So the priest goes and, you know, pours the water on uh, Anise. And in that moment, my sister-in-law's brother, who has special needs, begins to scream really loud and he screams out loud, and he says, Jesus has saved her, and he's screaming at the top of his lungs, and I'm looking at him like, whoa, calm down, right? I chill out, and he just keeps going, and he's clapping, and he's screaming, and he's hollering, and he's clapping, and he's screaming, and it is like the biggest, baddest football game you have ever been to and your team just won in the last minute and he's just going at it and i'm like all of a sudden it's kind of drawn me into the moment that he's seeing with his heart something that's going on that i'm not seeing with my mind he's seeing a reality that's happening that the presence of jesus is actually there in that moment and he's seeing it so when jesus says that we should be like little children when we come to him We should be like him because we're seeing with the eyes of faith, the eyes of our heart. As we get older, we start to complicate things in our lives. We start to try to figure out way too many things. And you know what? We live in a day and a time, honestly, you guys, where Christianity has somehow been boiled down to whether or not I can theologically argue my way in or out of a conversation. And if I could prove to you that Jesus is real theologically and put a great framework around that, then it's boiled down to that. And if you don't believe that, you don't want to get in the argument with you, with me, then just, we're just going to cut ties and we're going to be on you know, both sides of the fences, right? That seems to be like the, the culture out there that's happening. Like whatever happened to the Christian witness, the radical Christ, Christian witness where people looked at Christians and said, that's, that's Christianity being lived out. And so he's screaming and hollering like the reality of his life being about Jesus as, as, this, as he's screaming what's happening at this baptism. It, 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 it kind of drew me into the reality of the presence of Christ. I, if there was one word that would describe my childhood, um, it would be uh, a feeling of hopelessness, okay? It was a feeling of hopelessness. My parents divorced when I was young. There was a lot of infighting and outfighting. And, um, you know, there was just a lot of isolation and aloneness. When we're isolated and alone, we start to feel hopeless, right? We start to feel like someone's not there or God's not present. And um, my parents stopped going to church. And um, uh, so my parents, when I was born, uh, baptized me, they were still married. And they thought I was gonna die in the hospital, so I was baptized in the hospital. And um, as you know, I survived. And uh, so once I survived and went home, they decided to to baptize me again. They'd like to do the baptism again, which you can't do, right? You can't re-baptize, okay? Like, you're baptized, you're baptized. Like It's not like, hey, that didn't work, let's re-baptize the person. Well, my parents didn't know well enough to know that the baptism in the hospital actually baptized me, so they rebaptized me in church uh, once, once I, you know, didn't die. And, uh, and then that was it. Like, we, we really didn't, didn't go to church, but I was, I was baptized. And, uh, and then my parents divorced, and uh, I spent a lot of time alone and just trying to figure out life on my own, and by the time I got into eighth grade, my mom came up to me and said, uh, you need to get confirmed. I was like, to what? Right, like, To to what shall I get confirmed, right? And uh, because we didn't go to church, I didn't even know what confirmation was, I didn't even know it was a thing. She's like, just go to these classes. So in order to prove my mom wrong, I decided I was gonna get kicked out of confirmation class, which I did, okay? I got kicked out of confirmation class. That's really hard to do. It's really hard to tick off an old church lady to the point where she's willing to kick you out of the church, so just do the math on that. I had ticked this old lady off so bad that she had to kick me out of the church. Like, that, like think about that for a moment. I feel horrible f- about that. Like, I, you know, like, I feel horrible, sort of. And uh, <laughs> so she had kicked me out of the church, and the only way that I could come back and get confirmed was if my mom came with me. Okay, so my mom had to sit in class with me so that I could get confirmed, right? That was, that was my life. That was my relationship with God. It was non-existent, right? And by the time I got into high school, I was just doing whatever I wanted, when I wanted, how I wanted. Had a lot of free time. I did, made all my own decisions. But I guess if I could like sum up like the one word, the one thing that I was looking for in my life was hope. Like where's hope in the midst of darkness? Like where is it? Like where's hope in the midst of darkness? Right, The Catechism says this in paragraph 1817. It says, hope is a theological virtue by which we desire the kingdom of heaven and eternal life as our happiness. Placing our trust in Christ's promises and relying not on our own strength, but on help of the grace of the Holy Spirit. I mean, hope is the virtue by which we desire the kingdom of heaven and eternal life more than anything else. So if you want to define hope, hope is the ability to understand that you desire God more than anything else and that God will fulfill anything and any need and any desire that you have. Like that's hope. Hope is knowing that there's a light at the end, and the end is good. It's not bad. It's not destruction. That's why the end for us is actually internal life. And I think so often in our lives here on this earth, maybe it's just me, we look for so many things on this planet to fulfill our needs. We look for so many things to fulfill our ultimate desire like we do. I mean, I know I do. I mean, I'm constantly looking and searching to be fulfilled and and to be happy and to to, to feel like I have purpose and meaning, and I'm constantly looking to people and to things and to my marriage and my kids and my bank account to make me happy and to fill my ultimate desire. And hope is understanding that Jesus is the fulfillment of our desire. There's, There's nothing greater than him. And at the end of our life, like, heaven is ours. The reward is great. And that this earth, honestly, is just a pilgrimage. We're passerbyers on this planet. And we don't want to own up to that because we want tomorrow to bring us great happiness. We want this earth to fulfill our needs. And honestly, at the end of the day, you guys, when we put our head on the pillow, yes, we can be happy, certainly. But our hope, ultimately, is in Jesus. And I think the problem with all of us at some time in our day, in our life, or our week, is we simply want other things to bring us fulfillment. We really do. I know for me, like, uh, I have a tendency to make any and everything other than God my God. Does that make any sense? I want anything and everything other than God to become my God, to fulfill me. In the Catechism 2114, the paragraph, it says this. Human life finds its unity in the adoration of the one God. We find unity in the adoration of the one God. We're we're one with God when we worship God. The word adoration and worship go hand in hand, like, like bone and marrow, they mean the same thing. We find unity when we worship God. We find our purpose uh, when God is on the throne of our life, when he's at the apex, when he's at the center, when we worship God above everything else in our life, right? And when we don't do that, things get out of order. They get out of whack. It says the commandment to worship the Lord alone integrates man and saves him from an endless, an endless disintegration. Like when we worship God and God's on the throne and he's at the apex of our life, at the very center, that's what saves us from ourselves, right? Because the catechism also says this, the worship of the one God sets man free from what? It says this, turning in on himself. Hopelessness is when we turn in on ourselves and we look inward at our life and say, I need fulfillment from something other than God. And that's a deep, dark hole. It's a slippery slope. I mean, the darkest moments of my life was when I was turned inward. I was looking at myself. I was looking at me. I was so focused on my own brokenness and sin and worry. And any time in my life, I start to experience hopelessness. I can tell you what's at the center of that hopelessness. It's me, 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 me. And it says this, it goes on to say, in that same paragraph, Idolatry is a perversion of man's innate religious sense. An idolater, get this, is someone who transfers his indestructible, indestructible notion of God to anything other than God. And you're like, Paul, I don't worship idols. And I'm thinking, neither do I. Like in the Old Testament, idols, like in Exodus, right? Moses leads the people out out of the promised land. I mean, like he's the guy. Like God uses him, like to the point where God was so strategic about this that God took Moses as an infant. He floated down a river, right? You know the story? And he grew up in Pharaoh's home. Now, he wasn't born a Pharaoh. He wasn't born an Egyptian. He was an Israelite, and he didn't know. And then he grows up, and then God speaks to him about his true identity as an Israelite. He's like, whoa, how'd this happen? And then God says, I need you. I've planted you there to grow up to set my people free. And Moses is like, I can't do that. And he's like, yes, you can. And so he goes to the Pharaoh. You guys know the story. Sets them all free. The plagues come, and Pharaoh finally gives up. And then he leads them out of slavery to the promised land, to the Red Sea, and and the sea splits, and they go through, and they're on the journey. And it says in Exodus 13, it says this, God said, I will lead you by a cloud by day and a fire by night. I'll, I'll never, I'll never, never leave your side. So that's Moses, the whole story of Moses is up to this point, and they're on their journey to the promised land, and then God comes to Moses, right? And he says, Moses, can we meet up, right? And Moses is like, sure, where? And so he's like, come up to Mount Sinai. So Moses walks up to the mountain and spends time with God, okay? And he spends so much time with God uh, that his face begins to change colors. It, it like, begins to shine, like, like the radiance of God, the, uh, the glory of God was upon Moses to the point when he went down, they didn't recognize who, he's, who he was. Like, his own brother was like, who are you? Like, your face is shining. You're weird. He's like, I've been spending time with God, right? Like, it changes who you are, and it changed Moses. But here's what happened. While Moses was up on the mountain in the presence of God, the Israelites got impatient to the point where they lost hope. And here's what happened. They lost so much hope. Now, the same God who parted the Red Sea, the same God who promised the promised land, the same God who had a cloud by day and a fire by night, that same God, they started saying to themselves, he's not here anymore. We don't feel him anymore. God's not present in our life anymore. God doesn't care about me anymore. Do you see the hopeless train that's going on in their mind? I don't know if you guys have ever had that self-talk. God doesn't care about me, he doesn't love me, he's not concerned about me, he doesn't hear my prayer. Am, Am I the only one that's ever thought that? But here's what they do. See, what they do is they transfer their worship to God to something else. And so Aaron says, give us all your gold, take the earrings off your wives and children, And he melted them down, and they made a golden calf. And they begin to worship a golden calf. At the same time, at the same time, Moses is on the mountain worshiping God. I worship idols at the same time that my God lives in a tabernacle in every Catholic church. And I have the audacity to look to other things to fulfill my heart's desire. And you're like, Paul, I don't worship calves, and neither do I. I, I've never crossed a pasture, I've never made a gold calf, and I've never bowed down to a calf. But I have opened up my bank account and hoped that when I do, that that would bring me happiness. I have looked at my wife and, and thought, I wish she could fulfill the need that only God can fulfill. I've looked at my own kids and thought, they should fulfill the need in my heart that only God can fulfill. I've looked at people, I've looked at situations, and thought, maybe that will fulfill my deepest desire. And here's the reality, as hard as it is. There's one God, and there's one throne. That's it. And the toughest decision we will make each day is what God will we put on the one throne of our life. That would be the toughest decision you make every day. So what does God do when uh, we worship idols and we make golden calves? Does he leave us and forsake us? He shows up every time. I mean, isn't that crazy? He shows up every time. And through the Old Testament, you often hear these words. In Nehemiah 1.9, the prophet Nehemiah says, return to me. So the people have walked away and, and God's saying, tell them to return to me. In Isaiah forty four twenty two, 22, uh, the prophet Isaiah says, I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like myths. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. God's constantly calling us to, to return to him, right? Like, if you were to ask me, say, Paul, like, um, like, in marriage, like, what is, like, the if you were to say, like, marriage is, like, what's the one thing that marriage is about? Like, what is the one word, one phrase that, that marriage, like, is about? And I would say unity. Like, when a husband and wife are one, because Scripture says, the man and wife shall leave their mother and father, and the two shall become one flesh, right? They become one unit, emotionally, spiritually, and physically. They're one, and when division begins to happen in a marriage, in that relationship, there begins to come tension. What, what ends up happening is like, oh, I don't feel in love. Oh, we don't love each other anymore. And what happens when, when husband and wife return to each other in unity, it's like, oh, okay, yay, this works, right? This is great, right? And it's sort of this ebb and flow. And what ends up happening is that when marriage isn't working and people start turning against each other, that division happens. And yet in our relationship with God, the same thing happens. And God's constantly saying, return to me, return to me. And so when you get to the prophet Jonah, who's God's using, right, and God goes to Jonah, which is interesting. If you ever read the book of Jonah, it's short. Like if you're like, I'm not a reader, read it. It's like three chapters. You can do it, okay? And uh, you'll get through it. You're like, I read a whole book of the Bible. um, And it's really great. I don't understand it. Well, if you read Jonah, you got to read Jonah through the lenses of Christ. And when you read Jonah through the lenses of Christ, you understand the whole story. So Jonah's a prophet in the Old Testament, and God says to Jonah, "I want to send you, uh, I want to send you to Jericho to, to set, my, set the people to tell them to repent, to turn back to me, to return into a loving relationship with me." Right? And so Jonah says, "I'm not doing it," and he actually takes off running the opposite direction from God's voice. Hello? And God's like you're not going anywhere. So Jonah gets on a boat, and he's like, I'm going, I'm out. And he gets in a boat in the middle of the sea, and God's like, you're not going anywhere. You know, it's interesting there's this shift because Christ Jesus is the new Adam. He's the one that says yes fully to God in relationship with God, right? Where Adam failed, Christ renews that covenant relationship with God, right? But what you see in Jonah is kind of this this, this sort of this this twist where Jonah says no to God, and yet God still uses him, and there's this turning that begins to happen, right? There's sort of this, this prefiguring of Christ, because what happens is Jonah's in this boat, and God sends a storm, and everyone else in the boat begins to, like, fear for their life. They're going to die. And Jonah's asleep, dead asleep in the boat. Now, who else do we know that sleeps in a storm, in a boat? Jesus. In the New Testament, right? The disciples are in the boat, and uh, the storm comes, and they're like freaking out, and Jesus is dead asleep. And he even says to the point, why are you waking me up? Like, don't you know it's going to be fine? They're like, no, we do not know. There's a storm going on. Do, do you not see this? So they go to Jonah in the Old Testament, and they're like, what do we do? And uh, God says uh, um, to throw Jonah into the, into the ocean. And they're like, ah, do we really do that? Like, I don't know if that's right, right? And, uh, and Jonah's like, finally, like, Jonah wakes up. He's like, just do it, guys. Like, just throw me in there, right? So they throw Jonah into the ocean, and the storm calls down, Well. Who else walks the sea and the sea calms down? Jesus. Who else offers his life freely and says, you throw me. You throw me away. I'll take on the burden of the storm. Jesus. So Jonah's in the ocean. He's like, I'm dead. It's over. You know, this is the end of my life. And a whale comes and swallows him up. He goes into the belly of a whale for three days. Who else goes into the belly of the earth for three days? Jesus. When Jonah comes out, the whale spits him out, and and, and there he is, right? Now, I told you about my best talk I ever had in my life. Now I'm going to tell you about the worst talk I ever had in my life. The worst talk I ever had in my life was in like the year 1999 or 2000, I can't remember. Uh, It was then. DVDs had just come out, okay? You guys who were in college, I know this sounds weird, okay? But the disc of a DVD and a movie on it was like, and we would stare at these things like, have you seen? There's a movie on a disc. No lie. And it was like, and... You can go to scenes. It was like, right? So I go on this retreat to speak at this, uh, this conference retreat to a bunch of youth leaders and parish leaders. And, I, and uh, so the guy I was there with, who was sort of like my boss, was like, okay, here's what's going to happen. I'm super excited. I got a bunch of movie clips, and I'm going to show different clips of different movies, and you just go up there and you just work it in. I was like, okay, sounds like an adventure. So uh, he shows this movie clip, and um, I'm watching it. And uh, it's the movie Finding Nemo. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it. And there's the scene where Nemo's in, in the belly of the whale, and then the whale um, shoots Nemo out, right? Do you guys know? You ever see, if you didn't see it, go watch it. Uh, so Nemo's in the belly and then, and then he's scared and they're gonna die and he's in there with uh, Dory and, and she's like, don't worry, we're not gonna die. And he's like, we're gonna die. And then the whale spews uh, them both out the hole. Okay, so that's what's playing and I'm trying to formulate my talk like spurt of the moment and how I'm gonna do a talk revolved around a scene I have never seen or planned to talk around. So I go up there and I wish I was joking with you guys. Nervous, and I said, Lord, if you could just blow us out your hole like you did Nemo. And I opened my eyes, and everybody looked up, and just lost it, laughing. That was the worst talk I've ever had, okay? So Jonah's in the whale, and when he ends up, he ends up exactly where God wanted him to go. And he begins to proclaim repentance and people turning back to relationship. So when Jesus, in the gospel of Matthew, says this, he says it three times in Matthew chapter 12. In Matthew 12, he says this. He's talking to the Israelites, the people who know Scripture. And he says this. In Matthew 12:41, He says, The men of Nineveh will arise at the judgment with the generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And then he says, but behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And he goes on to say, the queen of the south will arise at the judgment of this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon Yet, behold, something greater than Solomon is here. I don't know what you're thinking or feeling and where you are in relationship with God in your life, but here's the thing. There's something greater than anything else. There's something greater than anything else, and that's Jesus. And when Jesus comes to proclaim the good news, it's not just some theological, you know, um, you know agenda. It's, it's not just, you know, for the whole, it's actually for you and I individually. That When Jesus comes, like he comes for you and I, like he comes to save you and I, he comes to proclaim for us individually to return to him, to return into this love relationship with him, right? And when we lose hopeless, when we lose hope and become hopelessness, in our life like we begin to think that God's not there he's not present with us in our life and I, and I can remember like there were times when I was in high school uh, I would drive home I lived out in the country in the middle of nowhere and the beauty thing is that I would drive home it was about a 20 minute drive um, you know and I would I would drive home from seeing my friends or uh, you know, being out, and when I would drive home, like, like it was just like the stars, and you could see everything. There were no, there were no street lights, there were no nothing, like it was just darkness and, and like crops, right? And I remember there were times where I would turn off the, my headlights on my truck, on my vehicle, in hopes, honestly, that maybe I would just accidentally run off the road. Because I thought, there's just no hope. Like, where's hope? You know, honestly, like, the first person that I saw hope from was was a guy who had fallen in love with Jesus. And uh, he invited me to this uh, conference, and I just said yes, because honestly, he could have invited me to Vegas, or he could have invited me to a conference. I didn't know the difference. I was like, I'll go. You know, and so I just ended up at like this conference. It just happened to be this Catholic conference. That's, and I was just there. I was like, this is the weirdest thing I've ever seen, right? People praying. It was like odd. It was like being in a different country. Like I had never seen anything like this in my life. And uh, they had confession. Now, the last time I'd gone co- confession uh, was in second grade. I made my first confession because I was at Catholic school, and they made me do it right, and then I didn't go to confession before I got confirmed, they told me to, but I didn't do it, I just got to be honest with you, remember when I got kicked out, that's what happened, and so they had a line of confession, and um, the guy who loved Jesus, I was like, should I, what's in there, like, what's happening in there, and this is what he said to me, he said this, he goes, Jesus is in there. not a man, not anything, Jesus is in there. And I said, well, if you're right, I'm going to go see him. So I went in there, and uh, for the first time in my life, like I confessed all my sins, all my idols, everything at that time in my life I had worshiped, which was a lot of things that I had turned to other than God, other than the very thing I was created to worship, I had worshiped. And in that room, the presence of Jesus was there. I never even saw the face of the priest. I just confessed everything and received absolution. And you know what? There was something greater in that place. And the something greater was the presence of Jesus. And I gotta be honest with you guys, I got out of that thing. Um, and um, it's gonna sound weird. But I'll, I just, I I, I. I just took off running. And the first words that I thought was, I'm free. And the first thing I felt was hope. You see, the presence of Jesus in our lives is what brings us hope, nothing else. Nothing else. Because there's something greater here. And when we're at mass and in confession, like there's something greater that's going on. Like if we could be a little bit more like my sister-in-law's brother. And like actually see the presence of God and be in touch with the reality of what's happening in the moment. That Jesus is fully present. That in every part of your day, God's with you like honestly, and as your heart begins to want to turn like mine does to worship and fulfill my life with other things, the presence of God is there. And the something greater is here. And when Jesus meets the woman who's caught in adultery in the Gospel of John, and the Pharisees uh, Catch her in the very act of adultery, the scripture says, and drag her out in the middle of the street right in front of Jesus to sort of prove their point. Now here's a woman who's caught in the very act of adultery in her sin, in worship of her idol. She was caught, right? And they bring her in the middle of the street in front of Jesus, right? What's there? She has no idea that what's there is something greater than Jonah, something greater than Solomon. So Jesus bends down and he begins to write in the in the dirt in the sand and you know, there's all this sort of theological you know debate writings. It's beautiful about like what was Jesus writing in the dirt? Like what was going on? Like I want to know. We'll never know. Some theologians say you know like he, he might have been writing her name. Tradition tells us that this is. Mary, Mary Magdalene, who ended up becoming a disciple of Jesus, following Jesus. Some people say he was writing scripture. And maybe he was. Maybe he was writing down a scripture where the Pharisees looked down and they were like, oh, Lord. Some people like me think he was just very practical. He was sort of drawing off in the dirt to draw their attention away from her and they're looking at what he's writing, and he's, I don't know, he might have just been drawing a big smiley face with a stung t- tongue sticking out, like, ha, ha, you look over here, get off of her, and look at here. He's drawing their attention away. And what does he say? He says, those of you who have not sinned, cast the first stone. And here's what we overlook, you guys, is this. We know this, they all drop their stone and they walk away, the oldest to The youngest drop their stone, and walk away. But what happens there? Basically, everyone in that scene admits that they're sinners. Even the Pharisees. They admit that they're sinners. They admit that they have worshipped other things, that they have turned to false gods, that, that they had also sinned in their life, right? Not just her, but them. They drop their stones and they walk away. And then it's just just them and it says this when you read the story it actually says that she's standing and jesus bends down do you guys know that the god of the universe is bending down in front of a woman do you know the scandal that's happening in this moment like do you understand so in the gospel of mark when when it says this jesus says uh I have not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. I have come literally to lay my life down for you, uh, to give my life for you so that you can have hope, uh, like in the midst of whatever you're going through. So imagine this woman in the most vulnerable, hopeless time of her life. I don't know if you've ever gotten caught doing something or if you've ever felt shame in your life. I have, and that was her. And yet in that moment, the God of the universe, Jesus, bows before her. And says, I have actually come to serve you and to give my life for you. And he looks at her as something greater is here in this moment. And you've been looking for all these things to fulfill you, to bring hope into your life, and the something greater is me. And he looks at her and he says, have I condemned you, right? And she says, no, no, sir, you have not. And he says, go and sin no more. There's something greater here. Something greater. If anything about 2020 has been a spiritual lesson for me, It's simply this, that God is asking me to return to him and to fall in love with him again. And to stop looking for other things to fulfill my deepest longings for hope. So I just want you to think to yourself for a moment. Because in a moment, we're going to have a time of adoration. Um. You expose the Blessed Sacrament, and uh, you're welcome to stay for that in prayer. If, and if you have to leave it at any moment, you're you're free to go. Um, you know, Deacon Kyle's going to expose the Blessed Sacrament because something greater is here, right? Jesus and the Eucharist. But I, I just I want you to close your eyes for a moment. I just want to ask you a question, and it's just going to be for you personally. Uh, so if you if you wouldn't mind, just just close your eyes as we pray for a moment. The first question is this. Is if if you have never in your life, personally, in your heart, asked Jesus to be the center of your life and to sit on the throne of your heart, the one God to sit on the one throne of your life. If you've never done that, like you've never just personally just Ask Jesus to be the center of your life and that everything else would be rearranged and coordinated around the reality of him being the center. That in this moment right now, in our time of adoration, that you would just ask Jesus for the first time to sit on the throne of your heart to be the God and Lord of your life. And the second question is for those of you guys who, probably like me, have vacillated and falling in and out of love, that you've been distracted, you've turned to other things, good or bad, to solve your issues and problems and fulfill your deepest desires, and... uh, Tonight's an invitation just to recommit to allowing Jesus to be the center of your life and your world. To allow you to reunite with him, to return to him, to fall in love again, to be in unity with Jesus, and for him to guide your life. If you want to just recommit to that reality of Jesus be in the center and guide of your life and fall in love again so tomorrow you can wake up and fall in love again and the next day you can wake up and fall in love again. That you would commit along with me tonight for Jesus to be the center of your world because there's something greater here than what the world has to offer and that's Jesus.